Um, I'm clenching his, his jaw, trying to pry it open, but I have my right hand around his belly. So it's almost like a, like a half Nelson type of half guard lock I've got him in. And I start to slide my hand back down towards his hip and I feel myself reach around. I start to search for his asshole with my index finger. This is a test of the emergency broadcast system. I'm like, do I really sound this horrible? And um, I guess I do. And everybody else just deals with it. And I listen. <laughs> and I'm like, man, people must really hate hearing me talk. Uh, <laughs> I'm like, I really must annoy that the fuck out of people. The broadcasters of your area in voluntary cooperation with the FCC have developed a system to keep you informed. In the I'll tell you what, it wasn't that bad. Um, at the end of it, you get um, graham crackers and apple juice. So. I'm Sanders, and he's Liv, and we are Two Sorry Excuses. Liveroo! What's up, Sam, man? Hey, man. What's happening, man? How are you? I'm pretty well. How are you? Uh, pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah, yeah. So, we're, uh... We're back for week two. Yes, week two. Week two. Maybe it'll be, uh... A little bit more coherent this week. I think so. I have a feeling. I have a feeling. Although I'm in, uh, I'm in rough shape today. Yeah. What happened? I um, I took uh, Val. You know the big white one. Yes. Took him to the dog park, and uh, he got into a little scrap with another dog, and he's a big boy. He's like. I don't know, 75 pounds, he's, a, he's part... Yeah, it's a big dog. He's part lab, part boxer, and he's a real sweet dog. Um, I think we had him while you were, while you were here, and... Yeah, I, I believe he was there. He's no problem, like, he's a real sweetheart. Uh, but for some reason, uh, he just got it in his mind today that he was going to mix it up at the dog park, and he took off. As soon as we got in the gate, uh, and he made a beeline for a... I don't know, probably a hundred pound husky shepherd mix wolf <laughs> beast dog. And he made no bones about it. And he just went after this guy. And nobody was doing anything. So, of course, it's my dog who's the aggressor. So I had to jump in and try to yeah. separate him. But. He just had a hold of him, and he wouldn't let go. And luckily, it was like on the jowls, so it yeah, wasn't it was doing. The, uh, the owner of the other dog. He, he was there, and, and he was just trying to, you know, kind of just circling to see, you know, where he could get in. But 
you know, rightfully so, one, his dog wasn't doing anything wrong, and two, it was just like a massive, it was just mass chaos, and uh, I finally kind of catch up and get in the middle and start to try to wrestle Val away, but there's no, there's no having it. There, this is like a 175-pound mass of dog at this point because they're joined at the jaws. Yeah. So I kind of grab them around the waist, and I'm trying to figure out what to do, and I kind of go to lift his snout up so he'll release the other dog, but he, he, it's, he's just got a death grip on this dog. Damn. And I remembered I heard somewhere that if you stick your finger – in a dog's asshole, <laughs> his natural reflex is to release his jaw. <laughs> so while I'm processing all what's going on, I decide to make the move. And with my left hand, um, I'm clenching his, his jaw, trying to pry it open. But I have my right hand around his belly. So it's almost like a, like a half Nelson type of half guard lock I've got him in and I start to slide my hand back down towards his hip and I feel myself reach around and I grab his tail and I move it away and I start to search for his asshole with my index finger (laughs) and I don't know at what point I decided that I couldn't do that to my dog (laughs) but I had the presence of mind to say no there's got to be a different way (laughs) <laughs> I've got to be able to take control of this situation. So I, I, I remove my hand from his asshole and I grab him around the neck and I try to pry him away and I'm kind of hitting him on the side of the head to get him uh, to, to pry him loose. But at some point during the fracas, I got, um, I got a jaw full of dog or a handful of dog jaw. So I'm bleeding everywhere and they're two white dogs and they're covered in blood and, People are screaming and yelling at me. You've got to get that dog out of here. You you have to leave now. And I'm like, yeah, no shit. Everybody's a uh, everybody is a is a critic when it's yeah. not their dog and it's not their blood being shed. So, um, so that's my day. That recaps yeah, so my your week. I never made it up his butt. No, I never did. I couldn't do it, like man. Now you'll never know whether that actually works. Or whether or not he'd like it, you know? Yeah. Or whether he probably has prostate cancer or anything like that. <laughs> Damn it. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> well, I missed a valuable opportunity to catch something early. Well, listen, now now I know what our, uh, what our charity du jour will be. It'll be canine prostate cancer. Yeah. And we can sign off every week with go get your dogs checked, spayed and neutered. <laughs> every dog over four years old should be getting checked. <laughs> Wait, what's that? Seven times four? That's, that's 20, 28. 28. Technically, it should be around six since yeah. that's 42, right? Yeah, I think so. I think yeah. so. So he's got a couple more years because he's only three. But um, Speaking of that, you only have one more year before you got to start getting that stuff checked right now. Oh, listen, pal. I'm way <laughs> ahead of that curve. I'm already, I want to say, four years into that routine. And I'll tell you what. It wasn't that bad. Um, at the end of it, you get um, graham crackers and apple juice. So it really is. Seriously? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, a couple years ago, I had to go get myself screened. Um, I, I guess it's a familial uh, problem. It's a genetic uh, trait uh, in my family, so uh, they sent me early, 
And it's an outpatient procedure. It doesn't take very long, but you have to fast like 28 hour or 24 hours ahead of time. They make you drink this. Um, That's for the colonoscopy or whatever? Yeah, 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 yeah. So you don't have the doctor putting his finger up there or whatever? No, it's a, it's a medical procedure. Worse than a doctor, um, it's a um, it's a cute nurse. Oh, and yeah. they wheel you in and they... There's no way you look cool during that situation. No way. Luckily, they put you out and it's, it's beyond your control. But when you wake up, they give you... Um, Graham crackers and apple juice until you're ready to go, and and you still get that um, local anesthetic high, yeah, for a couple hours. So, listen, all in all, it wasn't too bad, and luckily, um, the doctor uh, signed off uh, my colon as the cleanest that he had seen in the year up to that date. So, um, oh. kudos for me. Yeah, Matthew DeSantis, he of the clean colon. (laughs) (laughs) All right, man. All right, how was your week? Uh, Not nearly that exciting. And actually not exciting at all, really. You know? Um, I'm trying to think of anything good happened. Well, you mean besides? I've been going to work. The high point of my week was um, watching the Saints stomp the Cowboys the other night. Oh, nice job. Yeah, yeah, I had a lot to do with that. So. <laughs> <laughs> so I will take credit where credit is due. Well, you can take credit in the fact that we are the 27-time downloaded podcast on iTunes. They let us onto the internets there, my pal. Yes, and uh, yeah. 27 people found it in their hearts to download and listen uh, well, to our know, maiden offering. I know two people that did that. Well, I mean, I guess one. Because I shouldn't include myself. Oh, but, uh, so if we're not going to include ourselves, we have to subtract four for me. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I posted a link to it the first day, or whatever, or the next day. Um, there was one person who liked it, which meant there was one person that even acknowledged my link, and that's the <laughs> only person I know that actually listened to it. So, you know, we have to get some more work on that. That's the that's the problem with Facebook. Unless you have a, a picture of your child dressed inappropriately or doing an inappropriate thing, or unless you can find some callback photo from days when you had bad hair or, or, or bad style, it doesn't seem like anybody really wants to pay attention to content like that. So Yeah, I mean, I, was, I haven't set the page yet because I was a little flummoxed the other night when it started asking me what category and stuff this was. <laughs> But maybe I'll set it up, put a picture of my dog, and people will look at it because people always love the pictures of my dog. Do you put him in a funny hat? Well, no, but he's he he wears a Syracuse collar, so he's got that going for him. You can you, know? put, you can put the uh, Burt Reynolds picture up. Yeah, yeah. See that those things get way more attention than anything else. You yeah. know, people love anything that thoughtful. You know, you throw up a picture of a dog or a baby, and all of a sudden, I don't know, maybe I should put a kitten in there, too, or something. <laughs> Whatever it takes, man. Whatever it takes. We have to uh, we have to spread the word, because... Yeah, I'm going to get on that, because I really want to spread the word. I, I One part was, you know, I listened to it. I knew that was going to be a problem, because that's been a problem my whole life. Hating the sound of my own recorded voice. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, do I really sound this horrible? 
And um, I guess I do. And everybody else just deals with it. And I listen. <laughs> and I'm like, man, people must really hate hearing me talk. Uh, <laughs> like, I really must annoy that the fuck out of people. You know, because I generally don't shut up too often. I'm like, <laughs> this is what they have to listen to. <laughs> Uh, maybe that's what we're missing. Our our target market should be uh, sadists, yeah, <laughs> or masochists. Yes, masochists. Yes, sadists to to friggin' be tortured and the masochists. Right, right. The people who like to be tortured are the masochists. All right, so yeah. maybe maybe we'll do a little research and we'll try to tap into that demographic. Speaking of masochistic, um, Syracuse is playing Florida State this weekend in football. Yes, they are. Making a yes. natural segue into that topic. I mean, I know we have other topics we want to address tonight, but... Well, listen, we can't, we can't always address happy, uh, shiny topics. We might as well talk about the debacle to be when we head down there. I had um, I'd gotten a chance to sit down and watch uh, a little bit of the, um, of the Maryland game. So I had text you um, in between during... Uh, maybe halftime or uh, sometime in the third quarter, and commented on how bad Maryland is to make us look so good. Yeah. Yeah, unfortunately, I didn't get to see the game because it was blacked out here, but I was following along to the Twitter feeds, and I don't know, Maryland, either either our defense – has become one of the best defenses in the country the last two weeks, or Wake Forest and Maryland are just awful. They are. We've up three points over the last eight quarters of football. They are really bad. And apparently um, they had – I didn't catch the start of the game, but prior to the um, – prior to kickoff, they had a ceremony um, recognizing uh, Wilmoth Sadat Singh. Yes. Yes, they were. Which um, – in retrospect, appeared to be a little self-serving for the for the Maryland Terrapin. Uh, well, faithful. they had a good piece about it that was posted on Deadspin about two weeks ago that I read, and it was a it's a reporter down in Washington D.C. and I think he might have had something to do with it. Plus, I think they're kind of uh, they're trying to wipe the slate clean from the egregious, you know, act of racism. <laughs> <laughs> Albeit 75 years later. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting story. He was going to play because, I mean, I knew the story of Sadat Singh a little bit from Syracuse, how he was passed off as a Hindu. Yep. You know? And I'm sure most of these schools knew he was a black guy. But um, but they just dealt with it because his, because his stepfather was, a, or I guess he might have officially adopted him. Uh you know, uh, was an Indian or a Hindu. Mm-hmm. And, um, well, they were going to go play Maryland. And, of course, Maryland, you know, below the Mason-Dixon line. And was it 1937? And Syracuse was tearing people up with him back there playing quarterback. And they're going to go play Maryland. And, like, a day before the game, it was in um, one of Washington, D.C.'s black newspapers, I think. Uh, where the journalists exposed him to be to be a black guy, an African American, and then Maryland came down and was like, "No, we're not playing." And unfortunately, Syracuse caved. You know, instead of just saying, "Well, screw you, we're not going to play," they played them, and 
made Sadat Singh sit, and Syracuse lost the game 13 to nothing. Uh, the article also was talking about how, you know, uh, a few years ago when they finally honored him at Syracuse, you know, how I apologetic the Syracuse officials were to, to his family for, for giving in to Maryland like that. And I guess the next year when Maryland came back to play Syracuse, so that thing did get the play and we beat Maryland 53 to nothing. So, and then he ended up dying on a training mission as part of the Tuskegee Airmen uh, during World War II. So it's a very interesting story. To which Scott Schaefer used as a uh, battle cry coming out of the second half, coming out of halftime in, in his uh, pre-second half interview. Um, I can't remember the exact quote, but uh, the call to the sideline reporter is, um, is we've got some business Sadat Singh couldn't finish. And I told yeah. the boys in the locker room, and we're going to get this done. So I'm sure the, uh, the Singh family is, uh, is honored. That we yeah. went and beat a half-rate uh, University of Maryland team some 60 years later for a possibility of getting to a fourth-tier bowl in yeah, our inaugural yeah. season of ACC football. So, Elk Bowl, here we come. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because as much as Syracuse football fans love to follow their team in bowl games, they really love to follow them to – Obscure bowl locales such as Charlotte, North Carolina, <laughs> or wherever the hell we may be playing the Continental Tire Bowl or whatever's out there. Yeah. Um, you know what was fun a couple of years ago was the um, was the New Era Bowl up in Yankee Stadium, and yeah. that game was specifically made with Syracuse um, as its target uh, participant from the Big East, oh, and cool. yeah. Um, it was cool. It was a cool setting. We played Kansas State in the inaugural bowl. It snowed. Oh, you went to that game? Yeah, it was really fun. And it, it was a good like atmosphere. A cool uh, atmosphere for a game too. And it, you know, it was a beautiful day. It was sunny, but there was snow on the ground, and it was cold and crisp. And the whole, you know, Northeast football kind of weather, um, and it was perfect. Um, we played well. We won the game. It was it was a it was a good experience, but. Um, you know, after the novelty wears off, it's still just another, you know, second-rate yeah. bowl game with, you know, 20,000 people in the stands watching football that, you know, should have been played a month ago. Yeah, I mean, plus the good thing the good thing about playing that bowl, though, for the Syracuse fans is, you know, they don't have to go anywhere, you know. Yeah, that, for me, it was it was perfect. I yeah, took a half I mean, a day off work. the best place for them to play, New York City, where, you know, anybody that's interested in going to a game, that's where they are generally. Yeah, you know, outside of the area, right outside of Central New York. Uh, unfortunately, nobody in the um, in the New York City metropolitan area who is not a Syracuse alumni knows what to do with football. So what they did was uh, they gave away a bunch of tickets to community groups and you know a lot of uh, youth organizations to get people in the stands so you know a bunch of inner city kids who who yeah. don't really have a tie to Syracuse or really even get to see uh, football that much um were leading chance of Syracuse <laughs> Syracuse and you know you appreciate their enthusiasm but at the same time you know, you kind of want to lead them on the path to righteousness. So, well, 
You know, speaking of that, the lack of interest of football in the New York City metro area, you know, just earlier this season there was an article. It might have been in the New York Times. I'm not sure where it was, but it was talking about, you know, the lack of enthusiasm for college football in general up there. You know, like this whole push for us to put these games in the Meadowlands and stuff and, you know, even like Army which is, you know, part of the metro area really takes doesn't get too much attention. Like, it's just, you know, up there they'd rather worry, concern themselves with the Giants or the Jets than college football. 100%. You know? 100%. Yeah. Um, last year when we played in that bowl game, though, it was, it was nice at least because we got to play West Virginia. Mm-hmm. You know, it was kind of a good, like, you know, a good smack on them. Yeah. And that's always fun. But... I don't want to be playing in the pinstripe bowl every year. <laughs> that makes two of us. That makes yeah. two of us. At some point, I'd like to to uh, to entertain the notion of of you know catching a bowl game in an exotic locale and and taking a little holiday vacation out to a you know a Christmas week bowl or geez, I mean, God forbid, Detroit? even a January first bowl. Yeah. I mean, the bowls are in such bogus locations now. You can go to the, do they still have that international bowl in Toronto? <laughs> I think so. Yeah, and they I got think one so. in Detroit. Like, yeah, people are dying to go to Toronto and Detroit in late December to catch some um, some Mid American Conference football action. There's like 15 of them in Texas, and three of them play in San Antonio on different dates. Yeah, they have. Two of them in New Orleans now. I mean, one's the Sugar Bowl, but the New Orleans Bowl really, you know, I don't know. I guess it serves a purpose for these small schools. And more to the point, just shows, like, to not go to a bowl means you really have to suck. <laughs> <laughs> and you only have to be 500. Exactly. And sometimes they have exemptions for teams that go 5-7 and because they need to fill the slots. I, I think UCLA might have gone as a 5-7 and seven or something like that. God bless college football, man. That's all yeah. I have to say. The ratings are more important to ESPN than having teams actually, you know, that are decent making bowl games, which kills me because we play in a big conference, and and when we were in a Big East, we were in a big conference. 1994, we went 7-4. and four. We were ranked like two weeks before the end of the season. We didn't even play in a bowl game because they didn't have enough back then. Yeah. Now seven and four, you're playing like in a pretty damn good bowl, it seems like. Or eight and four, I guess, since it's a twelve game schedule now. And we talked a little bit about the 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 um the downturn of of SU hoops during the years preceding um our time there and, and really didn't end until uh, I was finishing up in you know in '96, and that kind of ushered in you know kind of a new era. Even though that team wasn't part of the you know uh, of the blue chip recruit wave that yeah. started uh, in the 2000s, but um, football but Jack was a McDonald's All American. I'm sorry, I just want to throw that in there. That's first. okay. Um, but the the football team during those times. Um, with Marvin Graves and 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 McNabb, um, really we had some solid teams. We we had the Miami rivalry. Uh, the conference was strong, but but even at that point, um, I, I think I went to one football game uh, in my four years. 
I had season tickets my freshman year, yeah. and I think maybe I went parents' weekend. Um, you know, when my folks I had were up. Year, definitely. I don't know if I got them the second year. I I definitely didn't get them the second year because I ended up making my money back my f- on the freshman year season ticket because I sold it for the Miami game, which was the last game of the season. Oh yeah. Um. So I ended up getting my forty bucks back and thought, all right, well, I'm just going to call that a wash. But, um, you know, even during those times when when that was, you know, the heyday of uh, of Syracuse football in our at least our lifetime, um, it was I can tell you obviously a big Syracuse football fan telling the great story about recouping. Your money spent on tickets by selling the ticket to the biggest game all year. The biggest game that I um, that I can remember as a Syracuse fan. Forget about the biggest game of the year. We sat in Brewster Bowling um, watching the game on television. We could open our window and hear the dome just explode. Um, But listen, I paid for the four cases of uh, Milwaukee's best. Light that we enjoyed that day in in Bowling Two Hundred Seven, home of Mike Peters and Mike Reardon. Weed allergy, huh? <laughs> or your yeast allergy, whatever it is. It was it was pre uh, pre allergy days. Yeah, yeah. I was living yeah. dangerous back then. Yeah, no kidding. You were. I never got time bomb. You didn't even know it. I never got to to transition to to quality craft beers. Um, you know, at some point those guys graduated to and that's where the, the the point diverges between you and Mike Reardon. Exactly. Exactly. Waxing poetic as he drinks his Goose Island Private Reserve. His beers his, mm-hmm. his beers are so specialized they don't even sell them in six packs. They only come in four packs. <laughs> that's how exclusive they are. Uh, the beer of kings. Good times, man. Good time. Yeah, I'll tell you one story about Syracuse football. The most regretful game I ever went to or experience involving Syracuse football. It was homecoming weekend 1998 against Virginia Tech. And a fairly young, a younger Mike Cuddy was there. You know, so you know it's going to end good if it involves Cuddy. <laughs> Especially a younger Mike Cuddy. Yes. I mean, he was still old in my book, but, you know, um, he must have been about a mid-20s cutty at that time. So what year is that? 1998, you know. Okay, so he's back up for a homecoming or something. Of course, because Cuddy's up there all the time. (laughs) (laughs) And he used to be up there all the time back then because he had the job where he was, uh, he had to go to Syracuse all the time. Yeah, yeah, right. In he had that job. We used to go hang out over at the... uh, the pool over at the Sheraton, because that's where they put him up. Yeah, he used to get mad Sheraton points. From, yeah, he would he, stay there for weeks at a time. Yeah, we go hang out like in the hot tub over there and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, hold on. Let me get that. Uh, I need a mental image of that. Hold on. So you and Cuddy and anybody I can, else? I can specifically tell you about one time when it was Cuddy, <laughs> Floyd, <laughs> and and me. The three of us Perfect. all sitting in the sauna at the Sheraton. Hold, wait, give me a second. Hold on. Okay, now I got it. Go ahead. Go ahead. That's in, that's indelled into my memory. <laughs> Definitely an odd memory there, that threesome hanging out in a sauna. Um, <laughs> so anyway, we're at the game. 
And I remember there was a couple of people, like my last year there, I was like, screw it. You know, I'm my fifth year. I'm never going to do this again. I'm going to go to all the football games and just get trashed at them. You know, so um, there was a couple there who I used to hang out with. Uh, one of these Zayu guys. Zayu, but Klaus liked to call him Zayu. Hence <laughs> <laughs> my inflection on the Zay there. Uh, Buzz and his girlfriend. So, they, you know. You know, straight up, most people, a lot of people don't go to the games, you know? Particularly the drinking class doesn't seem to really go to the games. So those are like the two people I knew at the game. So I was hanging out with them in the student section. You know, Cuddy, I think, went to the game with me because he's like, let's go. And, you know, they quit selling beers like at the end of the third quarter there, I think it was. It might have been with like two minutes left in the third quarter was when they would quit selling them. And it's the fourth quarter. It's a close game. You know, it's almost over. Cuddy turns to me. He's like, why don't we just leave? You know, he's like, we want to get back to the bar before it gets packed. And they're they're not even selling beer here anymore. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, okay. I've never left a sporting event early in the history of my life. You know, sitting through horrible, you know, blowouts of teams I who I'm rooting for and I never left games early, you know? Yeah. Uh so right when we get back, A, we did not beat any crowd back to Fagan's. <laughs> you rarely you know, ever do. We did not beat the homecoming traffic. And what did it matter anyway? I worked there. He used to work there. It's not like we had to deal with the crowd as it was anyway, because we'd always just go to the back as it was. Right. But right as we get back is that play where McNabb drops back and then finds Steven Brominski standing by himself in the corner of the end zone on the last play of the game. Scores the winning touchdown, and the crowd rushes the field. Oh, my God. You guys missed it. And all I remember is finding Cuddy and both of us screaming simultaneously at each other, why did we leave the game early? (laughs) (laughs) So, And they love to show that game on classic sports. You know, like like when they show, like, McNabb's great moments, you see it. Oh, this was the high point of Syracuse football. And it's like, I can't believe I left that damn game. You know, and to me, that's the most, that is the most disappointing, disappointed at myself sports moment in my life right there. Because for me, the sole reason for being a sports fan uh, and following a team and trying to, to commit to watching them play is for fear of missing out on a classic moment. And and I don't know yes. who keeps score of this or who cares, but the ability to say I was there to somebody in a conversation about nothing that means anything has such a high pride factor to me that missing out on even something like that. I mean, uh, uh, essentially, you know, years later, a meaningless regular season game of two teams who won't even be rivals, uh, you know, yeah. for the for the foreseeable future. Um, but that would eat at me, knowing that I had the chance to be there and I missed yep. out on what at the time was an instant classic. And I do miss events like that, but I try not to miss them. I mean, hell, my freshman year, our basketball team, we had Michael Lloyd, and we were playing in a preseason NIT against George Washington, and I think Yinka Dare was on the team at the time. You remember that guy? Sure, sure. For George Washington. And they played at Manly Fieldhouse. And I think it may have been the last time they played at Manly Fieldhouse, and it was the first time since they closed up Manly Fieldhouse that they were playing in there. And I remember going to that, and that was one of those things that I put in the back of my head. It's like, 
Hey, man, how many people have seen Syracuse play a basketball game in Manly Fieldhouse? That, that's exactly what I'm talking about. That yeah. type of thing. Yep, and they lost that game, I believe, in overtime to George Washington. So I guess they lost the last game in Manly Fieldhouse and then the next game, which was the last game in Manly Fieldhouse, unfortunately. And and you never know when you're going to need to recall that, you know, that experience, but you have it if you need it. You know, yeah. in, in 10 years from now, you could be at, uh, you know, Patty O'Brien's and it could be, you know, Jazz Fest or Mardi Gras and you're just popping in for a drink with, with some out-of-town friends and you stumble onto a guy wearing a Syracuse t-shirt and you strike up a conversation and he says, oh, yeah, you know what, one of the best memories I ever had was I went to the Manly Field House and watched uh, Syracuse close down um, Manly against George Washington and boom, I was there. Yeah, and he buys you a drink, and then next thing you know, you're friends for life. Yep. Or he's, or you run into Mike Cuddy, and he's like, "I was gonna go, <laughs> but there was a great beer special at the bar <laughs> that you yeah, had to be." Really getting crowded early that night, so I got out of there. <laughs> uh, hey, speaking of college basketball, I read an article uh, the other day. Um, um, applauding our efforts this year for forgoing a cupcake schedule and really packing on some quality games in the early non-conference part of the season, which at, at first I chuckled at, um, you know, but then, uh, you know, I took a look and, and, you know, took some solace in the fact that we are going to play uh, Indiana. Yep. Um, we do have, uh, St. John's, a trip to St. John's in early December. Um, we do have Villanova. So, you know, we tried to keep some of that alive, but, um, I'm sorry, let's start. What were you saying? The article's premise was that we have a cupcake schedule. No, that for once they applaud us for, for doing away with a cupcake schedule, but this week, Kentucky played Michigan State in a yeah. preseason in a, in a non-conference matchup. Yes, and I, Kansas played Duke. I mean, one versus two, and what was that? Four versus five. I don't think the fact that we're uh, we're having Indiana come to town, or that we're playing St. John's at St. John's before the calendar turns to 2014, is necessarily. Uh, praiseworthy. Yeah, but I mean, I guess I, you know, I think it's a lot of BS on our scheduling in general, for the most part. The flack that we got for it, and that may not be praiseworthy what you're saying there, but um, I mean, they're only gonna put four teams in that thing, and Syracuse doesn't exactly move the meter like those other four teams do. You know, uh, that's true. That's one part of it. I mean, I don't know about Michigan State, but they are ranked number two. But Kentucky, Kansas, Duke, those teams all have far more uh, broad appeal than us. You know, it's like we're rarely asked to be in those type of things anyway. You know, they they put us in stuff in New York because they want to sell tickets. You know. Yeah, I would just like to see us make a a more concerted effort to. 
to make a run at those type of opportunities because you know what in the right situations we do sell tickets and granted that may not have been the right situation but you know when you see a Kentucky and a Michigan square off and you see Michigan win a Michigan State win yeah uh, you know it it kind of does something to you get you it gets you pumped for college basketball it gets you psyched um, and you no know, I don't know about you I'm a Michigan State uh, Michigan State appreciator. Um, I, I like them. I like uh, I like Izzo. I think they do it, you know, right. And I mean, they're from Flint, Michigan. For goodness sakes, nothing good comes from Flint, Michigan. Who are the players you're talking about? The the school, the the atmosphere. They're they're um, what's that? East Lansing. East Lansing. Yeah, I just remember the Flint Stones when that was. Uh... That team now won the championship. Uh, Mateen Cleaves. And all those guys. Yeah, I mean. Morris Peterson. It's not uh, It's not a particularly inviting place, yep. uh, but yet they get it done, you know? Well, Izzo's figured out, you know, as opposed to Calipari, who knows that he's just going to get one and dones, which is why he was, I think, being iffy about playing that game because, you know, this is literally the first game of all of his guys' careers, base or second game or whatever it is, you know, uh, Izzo's been targeting good recruits, but guys who, like, aren't exactly rushing to the NBA, though. You know, he gets his type of guys, and even if, they, even if they're not too good to start the season, by the end of the year, they're, like, one of the last teams you want to play. If Kentucky, you know, so, if Kentucky so was, a, uh, was a Syracuse sorority, they would be um, back in my day. It would be something like SDT, where mm-hmm. on any given year or any given semester of a given year, pound for pound, the flashiest, hottest, most yep. noticeable girls on campus are from from STD, and they're not the cute girl next door type. They're the SDT, I believe. Not S- STD. S- SDT, STD. <laughs> You know, at, at at any given moment, you would see somebody who didn't belong in a bar or didn't belong in your class because their, uh, you know, their their neckline plunged too low and their makeup was was too too good and their car was too fancy and you would know that they were from from SDT. But yeah, you know, now you flash forward twenty years, they're a big old mess. But yeah. Michigan State. Michigan State is solid every year. They're you like know, the, they're your Gamma Phi Beta <laughs> uh, of the college basketball world. Where at the time, you're like, listen, you know, they're my Sweet Sixteen. Uh, you know what? On a given year, they're Final Four team. But then you look at their body of work over the last twenty years, and and you say, wait a minute, that that chick's got three kids. <laughs> wait, that chick's pushing four. No way. You know, they're just a much more, they're much, they're, they're a solid investment over time if you're going to commit to a yeah. particular program. Um, and, and, you know, that's that, the difference. And, and yes, they're in the same marriage they were in. It, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And, and they invite you to their barbecues. Um, you know, they yeah, have I a nice spread. All you DJ in their formals. SDT, you'd be lucky to 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 have a, a late night after party with you know, yeah, with some some scragglers in in Los Angeles and and. and it's funny you were talking about. I know this is 
this is getting away from the analogous part, but uh, about seeing the girls in your class and you're like, what are they doing here? You know? Yeah. You never did see those really good looking girls in class. Where were they? <laughs> I was at the, I've mm-hmm. thought about this topic before concerning the office of motor vehicles. I had to go there the other day. Never see good-looking women there. Is there some kind of special service for the attractive women in this world to get their licenses and and their automotive issues taken care of outside of the system? You know what? That's a good point. I'm going to write that down. I'm going to investigate that and see what we can come up with. Yeah, next um, time you go to the DMV up there in Jersey, you won't see any good-looking girls there. I'm I'm trying to remember. I was at DNV not so long ago because I lose my wallet quite frequently. Uh, there's like a hundred miserable souls in there sitting around waiting for their number to get called. <laughs> not one of them, you know, you have any interest in. It's it's mind boggling. You know, it's like, come on, you're gonna tell me there's not one attractive woman that needs something done today <laughs> on any given day? <laughs> Maybe. Um... I don't know. Maybe they dupe um, sucker dudes into going and and yeah. and handling their. It's like that Family Guy where Peter <coughs> gets the the liposuction and he gets invited to the Beautiful People Society, you know, and it's like this underground world where everything's taken care of for the beautiful people. There must be that, you know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I'm not invited to that society, so I'd have to take well, somebody's word for it. Of course, I have no clue myself, you know, <laughs> which is why I'm questioning these things. I, I somehow feel like I need to uh, infiltrate that world, you know, like George with the model's picture, you know, the only way you can get into the model bar. Hey, uh, speaking of worlds uh, being infiltrated, a little a little switch of topic here, but um, I've been following this for some reason. I, I don't know why this is um, this has caught my attention, but uh, the Sam Heard uh, yes. drug case. I don't know if you've been following it or if you had any interest in it. I was reading about it the other day or last night, I guess. So uh, I- seems to be very sketchy, like the charges that they got him on. So initially, the story came out that uh, Sam Hurd, a special team wide receiver for the Chicago Bears, formerly played for the Cowboys, um, was arrested a few years ago in an undercover sting uh, for being allegedly orchestrating a uh, massive uh, cocaine and marijuana distribution ring. Yes. In the Chicago area. And it sounded really shady. I think he had just signed a $5 million contract. Um, you know, had enough money. You know, yeah. certainly didn't need to be um, trafficking large amounts of, of narcotics to supplement his income. Um, so it, it just it never sat well with me, you know, the story that was being sold. So he ends up failing a few drug tests while he's out on bond. Um, has to spend um, his pretrial, the rest of his pretrial days in custody, and I think it ended up being you know o- almost a year uh, that he was behind bars awaiting trial. He came to a plea bargain, um, but was still facing life in prison under uh, man- federal mandatory minimums for Which drug convictions. Yes. So um, he ended up getting only um, 15 years, only 15 years, but uh, he was facing life. 
Uh, and the story came out that he wasn't looking to, um, you know, to distribute or, or put uh, drugs on the street for profit, but he had a large network of friends or, or associates, as you can imagine. And, he, you know, he was simply looking to supply his associates at, at some instances for gratis, um, but in most instances, uh, you know, at cost. Yeah, um, for that's you know, I, um, he came on their radar for making two huge purchases of marijuana from high high grade marijuana from California that I think were both like fifty thousand dollar purchases or something ridiculous like that uh, years ago. But like you're saying, it was for him to smoke and to smoke with the other players and stuff. And that I believe. Yeah, I, I, I believe with a, a guy with five million bucks is going to smoke up his buddies. If I had a friend with five million bucks, damn straight he better smoke me up if I needed to. Yeah. And and what I also heard, I don't know if you read this, that how he got busted on this other, um, the thing that he ended up going to jail for, the charges there, but the cocaine thing, involved his cousin, who apparently was a, a convicted felon already, and it sounds like the cousin might have thrown him under the bus. You know, because uh, in dealing with the kingpin drug dealer or whoever they were dealing with, since since the cousin already had the uh, the one conviction or something, I don't know. He seems like he was kind of railroaded. Yeah, it, it definitely made an example of it, if nothing else, at a time where you know, do you really need to be making examples of of you know guys buying large quantities of drugs? I mean, I know it's illegal. But he's never none of it. None of not one thing he did involved violence at all, or even an overt act of distribution. Yeah, like he wasn't out there working, you know, slinging bags of herb or anything like that. You know, he was doing it for himself. I mean, the mandatory minimum thing has has got to go. I mean, he was no Ziggy's wagon. Yeah, yeah, master of late night munchies, slinging. Slinging out of the back of the wagon. This is how out of tune for a guy who considered himself part of the the Syracuse social pulse. Yeah, uh, I was I, I was floored. One, I was floored when I found out that that drugs were rampant at Syracuse. It wasn't until I, I I left and had exposure to to other cultures and uh, and other ways of life did I start to connect the dots and say, wait a minute. That's what the girls used to look like when they would come in to fake. They were on coke. Oh my goodness! And then okay, so you know, so some rich girls from Long Island were able to get themselves some coke or some ecstasy. Uh, I can find that plausible, but the idea that it was readily available with my Zigwitch, yeah, late night, just it totally floored me. I. I but, I, it was a it was a culture yeah. inside of a culture. But even even from that respect, who was Ziggy hurting? Who was getting hurt by Ziggy's drug deals? Well, I'll tell you two guys who um, potentially were harmed by Ziggy: Mike Peters and Matt Soap. Oh, what happened with them and Ziggy? Um, one night, I was driving. Uh, Soap and Laughlin and Peters and I. We're uh, making a late night run to Ziggy's, and um, 
Soap had grabbed the steering wheel uh, in jest, in joke. He had had a couple uh, pops in him at this point. And, you know, he kind of thought he was being funny and, and grabbed the steering wheel. Well, uh, I wasn't taking any chances with my passengers. Um, so I pulled the car over. I reprimanded him. And I kicked him out of the car. <laughs> declaring that no one endangers the safety of me and my passengers. And he was no longer welcome in my car. And we were about a block from Ziggy. So he had to walk all the way back down. Um, what's, the, what's the road um, that runs parallel to Thorndon? Is that Comstock? It intersects with Madison? Comstock in, Comstock in Madison, yeah. yeah. So he had to walk all the way back down the hill, uh, down Comstock and, and over to Madison. And um, we we left him ziggyless and the next encounter um this is the only two times i've ever gotten in altercations with any of those guys and they all had to do with ziggies um but the second was um towards graduation it was the end of senior year and we had gone um to ziggies to to catch a late night uh munchie and um peter's um uh, Peter started to to bust my balls because I wanted to get out of there, and he posed the the question, "What are you in such a hurry for? What do you want to go see your girlfriend?" Well, <laughs> well, that was it. I wasn't having any of that. I didn't have a girlfriend, and he was not going to accuse me of having a girlfriend. And to this day, he says that's the only time he's ever been scared of me, which may be the only person in the world who's ever been scared of me. He said the rage in my eyes for uh, claiming that I had a girlfriend was unlike the rage he's ever seen. And I don't know, I don't, I don't know why it bothered me so much because I actually ended up going on to date Jody, uh, yeah. who was the 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 infamous girlfriend uh, at the time. So it was, you know, I liked her and. And she was cool, and you know she was out of my league, and there was no shame in my game. But uh, there was no way he was calling me out and at Ziggy's wagon of all places for for trying to skip out and 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 go see my girlfriend. That's for sure. I wasn't taking so the any two of that. Ziggy ever hurt were indirectly hurt by Ziggy. Correct. It had more to do with your fascination with late night munchies <laughs> <laughs> and vehicle safety. Yes, vehicle safety. Come on, that's you can't forget that it's all about the safety. Yep. Uh, the last year when we lived there, when BP, Girk, and I were living in that apartment on Comstock. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That was dangerous. I was so close to Ziggy, man. I was there like two, two or three nights a week. It was not good for the waistline being that close to Ziggy's at three in the morning. Oh, you know what? Maybe there's a third instance of someone getting harmed by <laughs> Ziggy's wagon. I think I came up for a homecoming while you guys were were living there. Um, it was probably one of the last homecomings I had been to, and I believe it was either you and I or you or me and BP uh, at Ziggy's wagon, waiting to head back to an after hours at your place, uh, yeah. either on a Friday or Saturday night. Um, and I thought it would be a good idea to make an entrance to the party without pants on. <laughs> so all that <laughs> with Zigwitch in hand and nothing below the belt, literally nothing below the belt. Yeah. I strolled into your party to the 
to um, the dismay of several female attendees. So add them to the list of people harmed directly or indirectly by Ziggy's wagon. So the question is now, that was, you know, what was that, 10 years ago now that Ziggy was busted? Yeah, something like that. Who? Someone must have filled the void. I don't think you can fill the void of Mark Ziegler. But somebody must be trying to. I mean, you've been up there. Uh, I think they My just gave. Would know. I think they just gave up on late night munchies. Oh, that's that's sad. I don't know. No, I think somebody. I think somebody's up there. There's a truck up there. I've seen it. Yeah, uh, somebody's got to be doing something. You know. On my last couple of visits, yeah. right, I'll check it out. I was thinking about going up there, um, in uh, in the winter. But we were kicking around the idea, or you were kicking around the idea of headed up for that UNC game. Yeah, um, the t- which if I make a decision on, I have to do it real soon because of the uh, the vagaries in ticket prices. You know, and uh, considering my last trip up north to Boston uh, last month, I realized the longer you wait, you know, the less flexibility you get in your travel plans. In fact, that... I'll be traveling to not exactly a cosmopolitan hub like Syracuse. <laughs> I really got to get on those those deals soon. So, I don't know. If you, I mean, for you, it's no problem. What, you get in a car, was it five hours away? Yeah, about five hours. Not a bad drive either. Yeah. You can swing by, pick up Fat Pat. <laughs> oh, that's right. He was, he was the one who's trying to talk you into going, right? Yeah. So, I need to talk to him because he needs to double check with his wife. Uh, about a girl's weekend to make sure it doesn't conflict, you know, because now he's with child. Yes. So you just can't drop everything. So I um, thanks for reminding me because I'm going to text him tomorrow. Yeah, do that. And I'll see, see, if, um, see if I can make it up for that, if I'm welcome, unless you guys have a sordid tryst you need to attend to. No, it would be perfect anyway because it would be great to, uh, you know, introduce ourselves – ourselves in our new entity to the world of Syracuse athletics. That's maybe a live podcast at the shine student center or Fagan's, whatever, or Fagan's. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Um, uh, hey, speaking yeah, of Syracuse and Syracuse basketball, um, some happenings this week, uh, with future orange. Yes. Um, well, Chris McCullough, uh, who was considered uh, our biggest recruit since Cam- Carmelo, they're saying. He's a six foot ten power forward. He is in prep school this year. Uh, he was at Brewster Academy. I believe that's in New Hampshire, maybe. Okay. Because um, he needed to get some work done, which is why he couldn't come to Syracuse this year. Uh, for reasons unknown to the public, he was tossed out of his prep school earlier this week. Uh, as you... Well, I know yesterday was the beginning of the national signing day, the early signing period, and we only have two commits this year, but they both did sign, uh, including Chris McCullough. The issue now is he needs to find a new school to take him in or else he's not going to be playing for us next year because he needs to get academically eligible. Yeah, so what happens? What happens if he can't find a school? Well... When you're six foot ten, and you're a great <laughs> basketball player. I think you know you can always find a school. Yeah, you know it's like the blind side thing. Uh, the other night, I'm out with some friends watching the LSU Alabama football game, and guy for LSU, 
don't know if you watched the game at all, did you? No, I did not. Uh, well, this guy, J.C. Copeland, he was like, LSU was ready to score, and he fumbles as he's walking into the end zone. Well, anyway, my buddy's telling me, he's like, oh, yeah, I read about his story. You know, it's just like the blind side. You know, I was like, it's amazing how that always happens to great football players. You know, you never see anybody taking in somebody and look at him. Now he's working as a garbage man. You know, <laughs> those are never the kids that, that the that the benevolent white families are looking to save. <laughs> <laughs> it's never the average dude that's just going to go get his high school diploma, but really had a rough life. It's the one who had a rough life that's going to get a high school diploma, but has 50 colleges begging him to come play football for him. That's, um, that's Ange's um, call to action is why don't, why don't we just adopt? And if we're going to adopt, well, you know, why don't we try to find either a, you know, a six, two, 300 pound black kid who can play left tackle or, you know, a, a power forward. <laughs> well, we do live in Asbury. Yeah. We yeah. do live in Asbury yes, and. Disenfran- disenfranchised youth are uh, are are a specialty of of Asbury Park. So it's like I really I I really care about kids, especially the six foot plus, three hundred pound ones that <laughs> run a four nine forty and bench press five hundred pounds. Those kids are my passion. <laughs> um, I was watching. Okay, sorry. Uh, that's okay. I was I was watching last year's signing day um, video, and I don't remember. It must. It was either B.J. Johnson or or Tyler Roberson um, who declared live on ESPNU uh, his intentions to attend the University of Syracuse. Nice. So that's that's always a good sign when you're yeah. uh, when your five star recruit. Uh, can't get the name of the university correct. I won't bag on them in light of the fact that when we were at Syracuse, there was a girl. Um, I guess I won't say her name. But um, out of respect, you know, because I plan on that girl, even though I haven't seen her in 15 years, to be listening to our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we'll call her, no we'll call her Miss X. She had no clue that Syracuse was not only the university, but also the city. <laughs> And she was a five-star recruit in terms of looks, so I guess that's why she was able to get away with it. I bet she didn't have to go to the DMV by herself. No, I guarantee you she did not have to go to the DMV. You know, I don't know what she looks like now, but if she looks half as good as she did back then, you know, still a hell of a lot better looking than any girl I've ever been with. <laughs> um, hey, what's the story on the second uh, on the second recruit? Caleb Joseph, four-star point guard from Cushion Academy in Massachusetts. Uh, he's supposed to be really good, and of course we're going to need him because Tyler Ennis is a very – there's a very good possibility that he may be a one-and-done. But, you know, with uh, – he's I believe he's about 6'3". He's rangy. He's got good size. So he's a classic Syracuse point guard, you know, and um, and – uh, considering the offense and, and our patented 2-3 zone, we always need a good, long, lanky point guard. So he's he's going to be a good one, I think. I would have said after, obviously, it was only one game, 
but um, after after the uh, Cornell game, I would have said um, Tyler Ennis projected as a one and done coming in, but his game was such that there was going to be some value to him sticking around to a, for a sophomore year. And when that happens, it's just a slippery slope because then sophomore becomes might as well stick around for the junior year because your stock has plummeted and you need to build it back up. And we would have a chance of having him around for a couple years. Um, but and That's why he probably will want to get the hell out of there because that uh, that's always the biggest fear. Leave Leave before they know what you can't do. And especially um, after the Fordham game, I think he, you know, he was able to redeem himself, um, you know, from his from his initial impressions and and uh, you know, kind of show what kind of player he is and what he's got, um, yeah. you know, for the next twenty eight games or so. So he is lightning quick. I I think I think you're right. I think he is definitely. Um, a one and done project. So anything we can do to, you know, kind of build that backcourt up would be, would yeah, certainly I mean, be welcome. Point guards, you know, it seems like that's the one thing, you know, Bayheim's always recruiting, you know, because that, that's the one position we go through the most, it seems. So, um, and obviously he doesn't, he's not putting restrictions on Ennis the way he did with Carter Williams, because I think he, I think he didn't want to play Carter Williams too much because he knew he wasn't good enough to run his team two years ago, and he knew if he played enough, he might be darting for the NBA. Right, you know? right. So I think I think he's comfortable with Ennis, you know, because sometimes somebody's just too good to not put on the court, and we we do need him. Uh, I mean, he had flashes of brilliance the other night. The only thing he seemed to have a problem. But and it will come with time. Was just finishing, you know. Yeah, and that was a tough game to finish in because uh, apparently the refs were getting paid by the breath. Yeah, and this is the new thing. You know, Beheim had words for it afterwards. He's like, "Everything's going to be a foul." You know, if you if you go to the basket, and you take a shot, they're going to call a foul. Problem is, this is what's gone on. You know, all these games now because of the. Uh, the re-emphasis on the hand-checking. You know, you listen to Jay Billis, he goes on about it. He's like, it was always a foul. They just got lazy and coaches quit teaching it. So with that being said, okay, I understand. And if it ends up, I don't know how long, I think it's going to take more than a season for people to readjust to that. I just hope it doesn't go that way. I hope we're not watching 55 foul games in the NCAA tournament. That's my fear. I did a quick count during the game uh, in the second half. So we were up 25 at one point, uh, maybe yep. even up to 27 yeah, at the start of the second half. From the – well, essentially from the start of the second half, two free throws at, at 1924 – Four free throws at fifteen forty three. Two free throws at fourteen fifty nine. Uh, a three pointer at fourteen twenty four. Uh, a free throw at thirteen fifty five. Twelve forty seven. Two free throws. Oh, the second half was way worse than the first. It was half. unbelievable in terms of the fouls. Well, 
And it was once, you know, we got lazy because we had that huge lead. And, uh, you know, Fordham was looking to make their, you know, make a run. And they kept, you know, taking the action to us. And, you know, every little thing was being called a foul. It was, it was obscene. And I think Fair said um, that they they dialed down the intensity for for fear of of stopping the clock, and well, clearly it didn't help because the whistle was out almost every trip down the court, yeah. and they managed to claw their way back in the game. So I don't something's gonna have to. Something's yeah. ha- going to have to give, or it's going to be a very tough basketball season for, the game for any was, team. The thing that was frustrating about that game the other night, outside of the ridiculous number of fouls that were called, was it was the classic Syracuse playing against one of these overmatched teams. You know, we, we make the hard run on them early, we get the big lead, and then, you know, naturally you're laying off. You're up by 25 points. But then it was finally like, would they get it down to about 12? And Beheim calls the timeout. And he's like, just just get the ga- damn game over with, you know? And then we went out, started playing defense again, got a few buckets straight up, and then the game was over, basically. But those games are, you know, it may, that game, the final score was way closer than it was. But the one thing I did observe was thank God those guys weren't hot in the first half, those two guys, Frazier and Severe. Because mm-hmm. those guys were shooting the lights out in the second half. You know? But, of course, we weren't putting a man on. We were giving those guys open three-pointers the whole time. So this is what I hate about playing the cupcake schedule is is that type of game. I just want to see, you know, we Syracuse does better when we're playing good competition sometimes than when we're playing competition that – just shouldn't be on the court with us. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. Uh, that being said, we do have Colgate coming up this weekend, who is our oldest rival, but I don't think they've beaten us since 1961 or something ridiculous like that now. So I don't think we need to worry about that. But St. Francis College did go on the road to beat Miami last week. Not the same Miami team that was so good last year, but they do apparently have a couple of good players. So that could be one of those games um, I don't think we're going to lose, but that might end up being a little tighter than than um, any of us think it should be. Or anybody in the Syracuse Orange Nation thinks it should be. So just be prepared for that. The... Um St. Francis game is when? Monday? Monday, 7.30 Eastern. That St. Francis team is um, is from the Northeast Conference. Yes, your old conference. My former employer. And yes. there is not a gym in the country. Uh, Division one to Division three, and probably including community colleges, that are wor- that is worse than the facilities that St. Francis in New York has it's um, it's an urban college uh, in Brooklyn Heights, right? Brooklyn Heights. About them today. Everything is in one building, uh, one one high rise building, uh, including a gym, including a pool. Uh, they have a, a nationally ranked uh, water polo team on any given year um, that they that they are very very proud of. But um, their basketball team is scrappy. Um, 
they really do a, a lot without having a lot at their disposal. Their gym has probably, you know, the bleachers, um, you know, that you have not even at, at the high school, but the elementary school where they're yeah, only bleachers. Yeah, but they're only the they're only about five high. Yep. That's that's what pulls out, and they're only on one side of the gym. So it looks like the gym, like when they're having a basketball game on Saved by the Bell. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And to televise a basketball game there, I used to work um, on the um, production crew of the, of the basketball games. Yeah. And um, the, the director and producer hated to set up a game there because they'd have to put the the camera on the opposite side than it normally is. So instead of facing the benches, yeah. they'd have to set the camera up to face the crowd. And I don't, there's some place in the nation, a, a pretty big school that the setup is similar to that, um, where you don't see the benches. But yeah. whatever program that is gets a pass because it is a nationally ranked program. St. Francis just has no other choice. The, there's no other place to put a camera in the That's gym. Odd. I was, so, I was reading that they've been playing in that building since 1971. And not a single fixture has been changed since yeah. 1971. The craziest fact I learned about St. Francis College, though, today in my brief research, um, I learned their mascot is Rocky the Terrier. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they are the oldest college basketball program in New York City. Not about. too shabby. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of... The surprising thing about that fact is you figure they might have been, you know, if you were the first one to start and you're at one of these small Catholic schools, you know, you figure they could have ended up like a St. John's, you know, a small school in the city that has a powerhouse basketball program. But um, but no, they're just St. Francis College. They're just St. Francis. Literally, they're one building. Uh, they're, yeah. they're, so that's what it is. It's just like one. It's like basically like a high school. Yeah. Damn. Yeah, now they may have expanded, um, you know, in recent years to kind of take over, uh, you know, another part of the block. But it's a, it's a, it's a one swipe door. Yeah, that's and, crazy. And you're in, and you're up, and it's got the pool and the basketball court and the gym and the classroom and the philosophy department and you name it. They're all within a stone's throw. Yeah. So I'm I'm expecting a, a pretty good game out of uh, out of Irma Garcia's. Terriers, the only, yeah. uh, the only, I believe, Hispanic female athletic director in uh, Division One athletics. Yeah, well, being a female athletic director is rare enough, much less a Hispanic female athletic director. I believe at the time she, when she was named, she became uh, the first um, Latina. Yeah, female athletic director. I'd have a hard time believing that she's probably still not the only one. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, they play Dayton this Saturday. They're two and zero right now. Um, that'll be a gauge of you know they beat Miami in the first game. Miami doesn't have all the same people as they did last year. Dayton's usually a solid program. See how they do against them, and uh, I'm sure still. We should win by 20 points. That, in a league like the Northeast Conference, especially for a team like St. Francis, 
Um, that Miami win, regardless of whether or not it's last year's Miami team or not, holds so much weight with the RPI rankings that everyone in the Northeast Conference now is rooting for St. Francis to win the conference championship because with that type of resume, they have a chance of being a 12 or a 13 seed. Yeah. So, you know, you look down their schedule and a game like, um, you know, a game like Dayton or a game like Army um, or even the Columbia game, if if they can win those games, that goes a long way in um, improving their their legitimacy when it comes to seeding time, and that's all that really matters to those you know smaller rising mid major conferences because a, a sixteen seed or a fifteen seed is what their usual price of entry is. Yep, has a probability of 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 almost null when it comes to advancing. But once you start to get to that twelve or thirteen. You know, history shows that those are winnable games. And for a conference like that, the million dollars you get for every conference win, or at least that's what it was a few years ago, um, that fuels the athletic budgets for a majority of the schools because they break that down um, equally. It's an equitable share of the contributors or the participants' contribution uh, share from the television money. So... Um, you know, they go up to Dayton and, and they beat Dayton and, and now all of a sudden, you know, they've got two quality wins under their belt from quality conferences. You got to take them seriously. So um, yeah. that's a game I'm going to be watching, you know, for sentimental reasons, but also as a, you know, as a fan of both the NEC and, and Syracuse. It should be a fun game to watch. Yeah. Um, I know it's early in the season, but apparently their, their RPI shot up to like 52 after beating Miami. You know, I think I think when they went and played Miami, the preseason RPI was like one sixty something or whatever. So uh, that is the impact of a win like that. I mean, see how long it bears out. But uh, as far as the NEC goes, uh, you know, Central Connecticut State gave us all we wanted last year, and I believe they're another NEC team. Correct? They are. They are for a long time. Howie Dickerman in the pride of Central Connecticut. Yes. So I don't think we, um, you know. Like we've talked about before, Syracuse, you know, always waiting to let you down. We can't <laughs> afford to take anyone easy. That's true. That's you true. Know? You know, the 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 horrors of Vermont sitting there dancing in my head. You know, one of um one of Angie's uh, brother's best friends uh, is a Richmond Spider, and uh, come tournament time, never never misses an opportunity to to remind me that he is a Richmond Spider and the Richmond Spider have a have a legacy claim over over the queue. So I try to stay Let's away just from put him. This way though, at least at least we weren't the only two to ever lose. <laughs> Thank God other twos over the years lost. Well, uh, we were the first though, right? We were the first and for a few years we were the only. You know? Then um Arizona never fails to... Uh, Steve Nash, yes. Thank you, Steve Nash. Santa Clara knocked it off Arizona that year. That was uh, 92, 93? 92, I believe. Yeah. Or maybe it was 93. I think it was 93. I, college, I, I know that much. I remember watching that game uh, in the uh, in the rec room of Brewster Bowen down in the hood. Yeah. So it's I must hard have... to believe. Never would have thought Steve Nash was... 
you know, I mean, obviously he was good, but I never thought he was going to be a Hall of Famer, two-time NBA MVP. I was eating lunch one day. Um, I worked when I was working in the city. My offices were right in Times Square, um, not far from the theater district. And I uh, went downstairs to grab lunch from one of the salad places, and um, was sitting down. Uh, you know, a pretty nice place. And the guy was standing uh, across from my table, just kind of taking up space, holding his wife's purse, and looking totally dejected. And I thought man, that guy looks an awful lot like Steve Nash. Yeah. But, you know, he's got a soccer jersey on and some, some indoor shoes, and I'm like, no, nah, well, that can't be Steve Nash. That You know, that guy clearly is, is from around here, um, and he's just out for the day. And then out came the bitchiest-looking, high-maintenance woman you could ever imagine who fit the purse that this guy was holding. And um, he hands her the purse. She scowls at him. They turn and walk out the door. And on the back of his soccer jersey was Nash, Nash. number 12. Um, and come to find out, he lived in the neighborhood because during the summer, uh, he lived in New York City. And he played in a bunch of... Uh, played like Rucker Park League? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and he just loved the city. And, and he tried to get there as much as he could. Huh. Um but well, I mean, if you're a basketball player, that's the mecca, you know. And come to find City out, park leagues, you know. His wife apparently ended up um, being as big of a bitch as she looked. <laughs> Did she leave him? Um, he left her because um, it, it it came out when she had um, maybe their second or third kid that. Um, it, it was not the expected complexion uh, of a Nash family baby, hmm. and it it the, the rumor was that that she was sleeping with one of the guys on the team, and um, ended up kind of being a you know a scandal, uh, a rumor of a scandal. Yeah, um, of course. But they ended up having a nasty divorce and a custody battle um, that. I think maybe just got settled and maybe one of the reasons why he ended up signing with um, L.A. was because I think that's where his kids are. Yeah, I think he just got hurt and the word is his career might be done. But like you said, who would have thought back in 92 that, yeah. you know, he would have had any career of that magnitude. I certainly would yeah. have signed up for that. I mean... A Canadian guy, two-time NBA MVP. That's odd enough as it is. My take. Uh, it. Those were some fun teams to watch, though, when he was on Phoenix. But, yeah. Uh, uh, I guess we should. I mean, what are we running at? We're pretty long right now. Yeah, we're we're about one fifteen. Um, I think it would be time to wrap up, but I think that was a pretty good, uh, pretty good run. I don't think there was anything out of there that I got to edit out. So. Well, but- uh, yeah, I mean, let's just go through quick notes. Old Renzi Onawaku got his release from the New Orleans Pelicans this week. So his rookie NBA season was short-lived. Uh, you know, got the uh, just make note of the fact that Jameis Winston, the quarterback for the Florida State Seminoles, uh, is embroiled in the sexual assault scandal. That- oh, real quick on that. You had sent me that... Um- Last night I had gone to bed, but in the middle of the night I had woke up, woken up, 
um, checked my messages and saw that and read the story. And what a bogus lead that is because it turns out that he was named in an investigation Yes. That hasn't gone anywhere. Well, and now they've turned it over to the state attorney. Um, this is all done through, I believe, TMZ breaking this story. Uh, I mean, so who knows what's there? You know, who knows whether part of it that they're just that they were just sitting on it till the football season was over or what? You know, I mean, I don't know what to make of these stories anymore, you know? What what I have a hard time um, grasping is take take Winston out of the equation. The fact that athletes, student athletes, students in general get themselves in these situations. Now I understand, uh, you know the 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 athletic uh, the culture of a student athlete at a major university, especially a Heisman Trophy, you know. Uh, candidate front runner freshman at a major university but one of the first things they told us at freshman orientation it stuck with me for the rest of my collegiate career so much so to that the fact that I didn't hook up until I knew that my degree was going to be conferred upon me was that if you have sex or sexual relations with a uh, a student who is under the influence that is sexual assault. If yeah. you look at a student who is under the influence, that is sexual assault. If you walk home or talk to a student who is under the influence, that is sexual assault. And I'm a freshman, you know, yeah, living in a dorm, and they're taking great strides to make sure that I understand the predicaments that I'm going to get myself in and don't let myself get caught in those situations you think on the the level of of uh, high division one student athletes especially football players that they would have greater controls on you know protecting the uh, you know the interactions the environments these guys find themselves in but i you know, think they give them a different speech uh your speech sounded like jeff foxworthy's worst routine ever uh, <laughs> But I think the speech they get is, you're a successful athlete. Women will want to be with you. You know, they, it's, all, it's presented in a different manner to athletes, I believe. You know, where when it's just regular Joes like us, it's all presented in terms of you're a predator if you do anything. <laughs> you know? So my thing I don't get about it is, you're an athlete. How hard is it for you? You're an athlete at Florida State. You're going to be the quarterback. How hard is it for you to get with a girl that that you don't have to coerce? You know what I'm <laughs> right. saying? Right. <laughs> right. Look for the ones wearing your jersey. Yes. There's got to be thousands of girls on that campus that are that are willing to go home with you, no questions asked. As a matter of fact, that's it. So if you're in earshot of my voice and you're a college female and you want to hook up with a college football player, just wear his jersey. Yes, exactly. And then after the game, they can they can leave the tunnel, head out to the to the parking lot, and find a girl wearing their jersey. Yeah, and Easiest that's it. Thing in the world. Um, other than the uh, serious uh, side of that, such as a player 
committing, possibly committing sexual assault or whatever. Uh, I mean, he's not going to not play this weekend. But even if he didn't play, I think that might prevent them from scoring 60 points on us. <laughs> yes. I mean, come on, we gave up 56 to Georgia Tech. I think, depending on on the course of the game, I think they could legitimately lay 73 points on us. Well, we lost. Would would we lose to to Clemson by was it sixty three to twenty one? I believe so. And they beat Clemson like fifty nine to fourteen or something. So you know, just doing numbers real quick in my head, it seems like we might lose one hundred and twelve to <laughs> six, <laughs> based off rough figures. <laughs> that sounds about right. But luckily, the spread is one hundred and five. Yeah. Jeez. Well, I think what well, we th- we opened at a thirty eight point five underdog, point underdog, which I think was, uh, you know, maybe the biggest underdog we've ever been in, in Syracuse football history. I mean, people aren't too enthusiastic after watching us, you know, lose by eight touchdowns to powerful Georgia Tech. But I'll consider an achievement if we can hold them under fifty and score two touchdowns because. They've been beating everybody by 50-plus to 7. So, you know, small victories. I mean, I'm not holding up hope for even even a respectable showing because Florida State laid a smackdown on Miami. Yeah. They made Miami look like us. Yep. And we're missing um, a guy... His name Brizzly Esteem, who apparently is one of our quicker players. He will not be playing, and he's a guy who, in the last few games, has turned out the to be a budding star in Orange, you know. And the the last thing we can do avoid uh, afford to lose is a is a guy with speed in a game like that because that's the one thing that definitely separates Syracuse from the Florida schools. It's what used to separate us from Miami. And I'm sure it's what will separate us from Florida State is the team speed. We we just can't match it. I think it's actually a, a requirement um, to attend Syracuse is to have a lack of speed. Yeah. Because that's probably been one of the characteristics. Uh, it's been a characteristic that's, you know, that's plagued Syracuse football for a long time. So yeah. We look like we do everything in the mud. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't get it. I mean, I know the whole. I, I never really will understand it. You know, like the whole thing. I do get why there's better football players in the South because they're training on it. They're able to train all year. You know, they take it the game more serious. You know, and it's warm weather. You can always work out. But speed is like something you're born with. What? No fast people live up north? I don't get it. <laughs> How the hell is every dude in Miami running a 4-2? Meanwhile, every dude in New York State, the fastest we can muster up is a guy running like a 4-4, and there's like only one of those out of the 20 million people in New York State. I don't get it. <laughs> and that guy's... How that works out. And that guy's going to Miami. Exactly. Well, that's what really kills me. Like, uh... Guy who's a big star for Florida, Dominique Easley, I believe his name is. He's from Long Island or something. You know, it's like he's the one of the best players to come through New York in how many years. 
You know, and those guys don't even consider staying anywhere near New York for college. You know, what are you going to do when you can't even get guys that are literally in your own backyard? I don't know. You recruit the slow guys who are in your backyard. Yeah, unfortunately. And you, you go and get beat by, by 63. What's that? And then you go and get beat by 63. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Maybe maybe they'll show us something, but it was after that. I had faith in, I mean, I don't expect us to beat these teams, but I would like to see a good show. And, like, when they played Clemson, I was like, all right, we're probably not going to win, but we can put up a little fight, right? Uh, no fight in us at all. And then a couple of weeks ago, the game was on TV, the Georgia Tech game. I'm like, oh, okay, this is a team we can beat. You know, I sit down to watch it. That just ruined my whole Saturday. <laughs> I'm like, oh, great. Just wasted two hours, you know, because it was about two hours before I was like, I can't watch this any longer. You know, it was, it was absurd. You know, it's not like that's a powerhouse program, but we were acting like we've never seen the option before. <laughs> <laughs> like it's this revolutionary offense. You know, this guy's going to run with the ball. He might pitch it. Oh, no. What do we do? <laughs> They, they threw the ball once in the first half, and it wasn't even the quarterback that threw it. And they still ran up like 28 points in the first half of that game. I don't know. I I just, you know, if if they would have been playing Florida State and I saw it happen, I wouldn't be so sick. But it's Georgia Tech. So I'll watch this weekend, and hopefully we can at least give them hell for a quarter. Make it interesting for a quarter. That's all I ask. Well, the game's at 3.30. On uh, on ABC, so we should be able to get it and late in the afternoon on a Saturday. And the basketball uh, game starts an hour later. A little picture-in-picture picture action? Yeah, or computer picture-in-picture picture action for me, probably. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, the football game will be on TV, but I'll have the um, the iPad. Of course, it better not be acting up. For like the whole second half of the game the other night, the ESPN feed kept dying out, even though I had um, solid Wi-Fi, a solid Wi-Fi signal. So I do not like having to watch the game on computerized devices. So Yeah, it offers the, the convenience of a lifetime, but it ends up just being a heartbreaker to try to stream live sporting events. It doesn't ever seem to work out. And you just can't, and no matter what, what the situation is, I'm looking on whatever the size of those iPads are. You just can't get the same, you know, the picture's still too small, you know? Yeah. So, I and when it was gone out, I tried watching on my phone, and I'm like, this is even worse. You know, I can barely see what's going on <laughs> on the iPhone screen. But, you know what? 20 years ago, I would have been dying to have those problems. No kidding. So, All right, man. Well, I think... Uh I think we got another week in the books. All right. Um, yeah, it was a good, it was a good long chat. Uh, you go take care of those. Uh, go lick your wounds, so to speak. Yeah, it's a tough one. I might uh, end up having to amputate the thumb, which will be a tough one. Yeah, you'll basically be the Ronnie Lot of dog park guys. <laughs> <laughs> Cut it off so you can go back out there and get into the park again. Well, if things go bad, we'll have to have a midweek um, companion pod so I can um, update everybody on my on my medical condition. But if you don't yes. hear from me or you don't hear from us, 
uh, things are well, and I'm recuperating just fine. Okay, excellent. All uh, right. I'm going to chat with Pat tomorrow, asking about the January, uh, about the UNC weekend, and I'll be in touch with you regarding that, okay? And I'll talk to Ticketmaster and see if we can get some um, live um, Two Sorry Excuses pod tickets on sale for our uh, inaugural live show at uh, Fagan's yeah, Cafe and Pub. Yeah, we to the Landmark Theater, you know? Maybe. Yeah. Like Andy Kaufman. We'll buy everybody cookies. Yes, yes. <laughs> It'll be great. All right, well, with apologies to Girk's brother, we'll see you next week. So long, Sam, man. <laughs>